Good morning. I am glad to be with such a great group of young people. And I heard you had a great day yesterday and helping others. I also was very glad that you sang that song, What? Never Part Again. Because as I tell my story, I'm going to share with you how that when I went to the Portland church, every Sabbath, that was the song that they sang. And that stuck in my mind. So uh, we're going to go on a journey. This morning, I've been asked to share my own life experience and how God has led me in my life and led us in our ministry. So I'm going to try to take you through several years here in just about an hour this morning. But the reason that I want to share also this experience with you is because I have no question in my mind that God took a little girl from Maine and led my life completely. And if he can lead my life, I know he's leading your life. And we just have to be sensitive to his spirit. And so I want to I wanna share with you a few pictures this morning, too. So, Emmy, and we, do we have that up there? And so if we can put that on. I have a few pictures along the way that I'm going to uh, share with you and let you... Uh, Think about how God has, is leading uh, your life and how that uh, many times you say, I wonder if God is really leading me. I have some big decisions to make. I have major decisions. Where am I going to go to school? Uh, what am I going to do? What's going to be my profession? Who's going to be my life companion? Uh, all of these things that are so important. And so uh, one day I was in the car with um, Emian and his family, and he asked me to share my experience. And after that, he said, you've got to come and share that with the young people. I think that they'll be inspired to see how God has led you. So I want to first start by saying throughout history, God has led his people. If you look at scripture, God has led his people. If you look at Moses, why, who would even think that there was something great for Moses to do in his life? I mean, he was to be put to death as a child, as a baby, and here he is in a basket behind the bulrushes and in the river, and you wonder, how is he going to lead anybody in his life, let alone have his own life spared? And yet God uh, allowed Moses to lead the children of Israel. And then you look at Daniel. Daniel was 17 years old, and he's taken captive, and he's, he leaves his country, he leaves his friends, he leaves his family, and he goes into Babylon, and yet a whole nation is changed because of Daniel. And then look at Joseph. What about Joseph? I mean, his brothers are angry with him. They think he is... Uh, father loves him and does more for him than them and they're jealous and they're angry they're upset so they really want to kill him but they don't want his blood on their hands so they decide they'll put him in the pit what's Joseph going to do in the pit but we see Joseph going from the pit 
to the prison, to the palace. And he leads again a whole nation and he spares his own people from dying. God has led him. God had a plan. In fact, in in Genesis chapter 50, verse 19, when uh, the brothers finally were bowing down to him and said, Behold, we are your servants. He, Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid, for I am in the place of God. Don't be afraid. They were afraid of Joseph then. But he said, Don't be afraid, for I'm in the place of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. So he said, you meant it for evil, but God led my life and meant it for good. And look, he, he spared my father. He spared my, my people from death, from famine, because of where he placed me. So God leads us along step by step. And I have seen that in my own life. I want to take you back to uh, a cold winter day in December and a little girl is born in Portland, Maine. This girl only has a single parent, no father, just a mother. What's going to happen in her life? If you think sometimes it's difficult in your life, try being raised by a single mother and very little money in a poor family. And yet at six months old, I left Portland, Maine and went on to a little town way up in northern Maine in Millinocket and lived in this house. Now my mother uh, is in a relationship with who would in the future become my stepfather. So I am uh, now in this little house. But as a young girl, I saw that God had a plan for my life and I had that spiritual longing, but I didn't know how that was going to be fulfilled in my life. You see, there were really three of us, my mother, my sister, myself, I did not grow up, of course, as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, and really not even in a Christian home. Oh, occasionally, my, we would dress up at Easter and put on the very best dress that we had and go to the Congregational Church to, or the United Baptist Church that uh, we had in the town, but maybe just once or twice a year, never really had any religious background, but occasionally went to that church. But there was conflict in the home. There was difficulty in the home. There was abuse in the home. And it was a very difficult situation. And so we would be thrust from our home and told that we needed to go to our grandparents' home. Now, my grandparents lived way out in the country in this old house that 
My grandfather and his father was actually born in 66 acres out on the farm out in Morrill, Maine, about three hours from where I lived, and we would go down to that house, but it was different there. You see, my stepfather didn't like us, didn't want us around, so he would give us a little bit of change and say, go to the movies on Saturday. But then when I would go to my grandfather's house, he would, on Friday, have all the house prepared. On Friday night, my grandmother and grandfather would gather around the piano and sing songs just like what you sang here today. And then on Saturday morning, they would get up and go to church. For you see, someone knocked on their door and they had become Seventh-day Adventists. But not... Uh, early enough possibly in their life so that uh, the rest of us benefited from that. But they now became Seventh-day Adventists and they saw these two little girls with a single mother and now a stepfather being involved and not a good situation. And so we would go down and just enjoy being with them. But it was different. It was a different environment, but soon we would have to go back because it would be time for school to start, and we would go back, and we would go back and forth. Uh, sometimes, even in the school year, we would have to go and live with our grandparents because things would be kind of rough at home. And um, so we were in and out of several schools, and that sometimes can be very difficult on a young person as well. But God, again, was leading because I had grandparents who were praying for these two little girls. And, but it became so bad that one night in the middle of the night, um, I, I, I'm praying, and Lord, I, I don't even really know who God is, but um, Lord, just lead my life. And then one day, as I'm back in my home in Millinocket, a knock came on the door. And it happened to be a call porter. And the call porter wanted to sell books and Bibles and all of that. And at the end of his sales pitch, he said, oh, we're also offering a free Bible course. And I said to my mother, I want to take that Bible course. I was nine years old, and I said, I want to take that Bible course. And I started with the Voice of Prophecy Junior Lessons at nine years old, taking this very course. I wanted to learn how to be saved. I wanted to have a different lifestyle. I didn't want to come from what I was seeing in my home. I didn't want that for my life, and I started taking this Bible course. I'm indebted today to the voice of prophecy for what they did in my life, because you see, I kept taking these lessons. I learned where, where did G Satan come from anyway? How did we get into this mess? I started learning things about healthful living, and that, I, that pork wasn't the best for me, that my body was the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I started telling my mother, I don't want to eat pork anymore. I don't want to eat these hot dogs. I don't want to eat these things. Then I started learning about the Bible Sabbath. And I thought, I want to keep the Bible Sabbath. 
my grandfather must be right. He's going to church on Saturday. And I started learning all these things. And, but how could I do this? At first, my mother was um, very much for this. In fact, I started telling her about all these things. And she started taking some lessons. And we started doing some things in our home, just trying to even keep the Sabbath. But then um, things became very difficult again at home. We were in and out of different schools and moving. And then finally, one night in the middle of the night, in just our pajamas, we were thrust out of our beds and taken and said we were going to another place. And we were leaving with another person that was unknown to us. And so we went to a town. And my mother said, now you have to go to school here. And we said, go to school here. We want to go with our friends. We don't want to. I don't want to leave all my friends. I loved my friends. My friends were, that, that was my, uh, that was the best thing in my life. And uh, no, you're going to have to go to school here. So we started to go to school there. And then we lived there for about six, seven, eight months, started school. And then my mother said, now we're moving to another place. And we moved to another house. And uh, I thought, I don't, I'm not sure I want to do this. I remember all of these things that I learned, and I wish I could follow them. And I know that there must have been people praying for me. I know as that mail went out from the voice of prophecy and they laid it out there, they were praying for the people who were taking those lessons, but they didn't know that there was a 9- and 10-year-old girl that was taking those lessons that needed a changed life. I'm sure as they put them in the mailbags, they said, we're praying that uh, God will touch somebody's life. And I know that as I waited for that mail to come and I went down to my post office in Millinocket, Maine, to, to see if I had another lesson that I could do, that uh, God was going to have his hand over me because someone was praying for me. My grandfather, my grandmother was praying for me. My, um, the people, I'm sure, although they didn't know me my, by name at the voice of prophecy, were praying for those people that were taking those Bible lessons, and I was one of them. And so uh, God will do in answer to the prayer of faith that which he would not do did we not thus ask. So prayer is powerful. Prayer is very powerful. Prayer and, and faith will accomplish what no other power on earth can accomplish. So I had someone praying for me through some of these difficult times. And I started in another school. I got involved with my friends. I was a cheerleader. Although I knew about the Sabbath now through these lessons, it wasn't possible for me to... Uh, find an Adventist church or to practice this because my family didn't believe this, didn't practice this. My sister and I were left alone a lot. I was about 10, 11 years old by now, and we were left home alone a lot. And um, so we were just left to do what we wanted to do, basically. But God, again, had his hand over us because this time when we moved, and we moved several times. I was in five different schools in one year. And um, 
This time, though, when we moved, we moved right next door to the Pentecostal pastor and his family. They had eight kids in their family, and some of those were my age. And we got acquainted with them, and they were a lovely Christian family. And they invited us not only to church in the Pentecostal church, but they invited us to eat with them. They invited us to their home, and we became very involved with this family, very involved in the church. But in the back of my mind, I could not forget what I had learned in these vo with these Voice of Prophecy Bible lessons. And somehow God still placed somewhere way in the back of my mind the fact that the Bible Sabbath was right. But how was I, at the age of 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, going to practice this? There was no such thing as an Adventist church where I lived. So it wasn't like I could just walk to church and find one. But God, again, was leading. And, uh, and so we went to church every Sunday. Every Sunday night, we had young people's meeting. I was 14 years old at this time, and the Pentecostal pastor was a wonderful pastor. And one night, there was a revival meeting among the young people my age. And he said, is there someone here tonight that would like to give their heart to the Lord? That you want to go fully all the way with Jesus Christ? And although I didn't know a lot, I knew some things because I comprehended and understood the lessons that I had been doing with the voice of prophecy. I didn't have an opportunity to actually practice that in my life. And so I stood. And when I stood, there were other young people that stood. And so I said, he said, we're going to have a baptism. Next Sunday, we're going to have a baptism with all the young people. And I went to bed that Saturday night, just like any other night, and uh, was the same. But when I went to bed that night, I had a dream. And in my dream, I dreamed that I saw the end of the world. And in that dream, God plainly, in a, in a very loud voice, a very audible voice in the dream, said, you're in the wrong church. You need to find a Sabbath-keeping church. And I, I woke with a start, and I said to my sister, I think Papa, that's my grandfather, I think he must be right. I think the things that, have, that I learned in those Voice of Prophecy lessons must be right because we need to find a Sabbath-keeping church. We must tell our Sunday school teacher about this. And so we went to Sunday school that morning, and I started telling them about the Sabbath and about the fact that I didn't think I could be baptized because I needed to find a Sabbath-keeping church. And um, they said, oh... You don't need, you're not under the law, you're under grace. You don't need to keep the Sabbath. Sunday is okay. And my sister said, they're right. And I said, no, I don't think so. 
And the kids all, and, and believe me, young people, when your peers around you begin saying, oh, that's fanatical, that, that's, that's ridiculous, you don't need to do that. When you know in your heart that it is right, then you stand for God and God will stand for you and he will lead you. And that's what happened in my life. I said, no, somehow I believe this is right. And so I, I, I told the Sunday school teacher, we got into a discussion. We got into a discussion in the church service. And they said, well, Teeny, don't you love the Lord? Aren't you going to be baptized? And I said, I love the Lord, but I want to find a Sabbath-keeping church because for some reason I don't think that we should keep nine commandments and not ten commandments. And, and, and God says, um, I didn't know a lot of texts in those days, but I knew this one, and it said to the law in Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it's because there is no light in them. And I said, that's light. Isn't light what you're supposed to follow? And this, it seems like this is right, and it's light. And, and they said, no, it's, this is ridiculous. It's, uh, you know, you're not under the law, you're under grace. And then they said, we're all going to be baptized. Come, we want you to be baptized too. Well, that afternoon, everyone went to the river. They were going to be baptized by immersion. Um, it was a wonderful Christ-centered church. And they all went, and I stood on the side of the bank, and they said, but Teeny, don't you love the Lord? Uh, aren't you a Christian? Haven't you given your heart to the Lord? Yes, but somehow I, I just feel that there's a, another issue here. And I started telling some of the adults, and, and but again, they rejected it, and so they had the baptism. I left, and I didn't know what to do because I just prayed, Lord, lead my life. I, I said, I, I saw in this dream, I saw you coming. I saw, I saw Jesus coming in the clouds. I saw that um, I needed to find a Sabbath-keeping church. I needed to be ready that if I, you know, I'm going to be lost, I, I, I need to accept the truths from Scripture. And I, I, this was so real to me. And so I prayed that the Lord would lead me. Again, one day, my mother said, we're moving again. I had moved a lot. As I said, I had been in five schools in one year. I'd been in three schools in another year. And, um, and another couple schools another year. And so it's not easy to keep changing schools and making new friends. And, but this time, my mother said, we're moving to Portland, Maine. And Portland, Maine was a new place for me. We started first in Gorham, Maine, and then we started in another place in Maine, and then another place, and then we moved to Portland. And when we got to Portland, Maine, somehow I said, God, I'm not sure how you're going to lead me, but I want to find a Seventh-day Adventist church. I looked in the phone book, and I found the Seventh-day Adventist Conference. I thought, I can walk there. That's not far from my home. I walked to the conference. I knocked, oh, I kind of knocked on the door and then walked in. And I said, hello, my name is Ernestine Tenney. And I'm just wondering if there's a Sabbath-keeping church in this town. 
And they said, oh yeah, I'm 14 years old by now. And they said, oh yeah, down on Grant Street, there's the White Memorial Church. And I thought, Grant Street, how far is that? Where is that? And they told me where it was. And I said, oh, that's not too far. That's only about four miles. I could walk there. And so I started on Sabbath morning. I got up early, and I decided I was going to go by myself to church. And, so, and, and young people, don't think it wasn't because I wasn't scared. I was shaking in my boots when I went into that conference office and said, hello, my name is Ernestine Tenney, and I'm just wondering if there's a Sabbath-keeping church here. And they told me that there was over on Grant Street, and now I've got to walk to church by myself. And I walked over to the, was walking to the church, and as I'm walking along, the, a car stopped and pulled right up beside me and said, little girl, I guess I was a little girl, I was, four, uh, I was 14 years old, and said, little girl, would you like a ride? And I said, no, thank you. I was scared. I didn't know who she was. And the car pulled up again and said, little girl, would you like a ride? I said, no, thank you, it's okay. And I kept walking. And car pulled up the third time. I, I was about ready to run. And the lady said, little girl, don't be afraid. Are you going to the Adventist church, Seventh-day Adventist church? And I looked at her, and I thought, how did you know that? I mean, did God give her a dream too? Uh, how did you know this? And she said, oh, yesterday I overheard you when you came into the conference office, and I'm going to the Adventist church. Would you like a ride? Well, she looked pretty innocent to me, so I got in the car, and she brought me to the church, and I went into this big church. It seemed really big to me because I had come from this little Pentecostal church uh, out in the country, way up in northern Maine, and I got into this big church, and I walked in, and I want to tell you something. Whoever, whenever you, I hope that some of you are even in the position to be greeters at your church at the door and show some real hospitality or at least be close by. But whoever does that, and when you get a little older and you do that, never think that, um, that some little girl walking through the door doesn't have potential in their life. Because when I walked through that door, that church blessed me. I'm indebted to the voice of prophecy, and I'm indebted to the Portland church for the way that my life went. Because when I walked through that door, that lady said, well, good morning. Are you here by yourself? And I said, yes. And she said, well, um, we're so glad you're here. We want to welcome you, but would you like to meet some other young people? And I said, yeah, I would love to meet some young people. And she, she went and got a girl by the name of Becky Quinnum. She was my age, and she brought me, uh, she came down, introduced her to me, and then she said, uh, I'll, I'll take you through the church. 
Now this was a young person showing another young person who is at this church for the very first time around the church and really making me feel welcome. I didn't know if I wanted to be in that church or if I didn't want to be in that church. I just knew I wanted to find somebody who followed the Bible and kept the Sabbath. And when she showed me around to that church, she went and showed me all the different rooms and she took me downstairs and she said, this is a school. And I said, a school? What kind of a school? She said, a church school. And I said, well, how many grades in this school? And she said, oh, there are 10 grades. And I said, well, I'm going to be in the ninth grade. I'd like to go to this school. Uh, how do you go to this school? She said, well, it's a church school. And you have to pay to go to this school. And I said, well, I don't have any money, but I'm a hard worker. Because you see, when I was back in Medway and I was only... 11, 12, 13, and going on 14 years old, we barely had any food in our house to eat. And so after school, I would have to go and babysit so that we could have some bread and potatoes and milk in our home. And so I said, I know how to, and I, had, I learned what it was like to change those little babies' diapers and take care of kids and work until... Uh, late at night and go there from 3.30 in the afternoon until 10.30 at night. And I said, I'm a hard worker. I can work. Can I go to this school? And she said, well, I think you have to see somebody, maybe the principal or somebody. And now I know you must think, whoa, this kid, she's pretty brazen to say she wants to go to this school. But hey, I didn't know how I was going to find the message of the Bible, and I was praying that God would lead me. And so I said, well, who's the principal? And they said, a man by the name of Raymond Pike. You can find, he's here, and we'll introduce you to him. And so I met him. I told him I wanted to go to that school, and I said, but I don't have any money. Can I work? What can I do? I'm telling you, young people, for anything that we had at that school, any extracurricular things, I didn't have a penny. To, I was not supported to go to the school or any, anything I wanted to do that was fine, you can do, but you're on your own. And so I remember going out and selling life and health every night. I wouldn't come home until I sold set ten, at least 10 life and health every night to get a little bit of money in my pocket. And so I went to that school. I was privileged to go to that school. I was learning ninth and 10th grade. But then I said, what do I do now? Where do you go to school after 10th grade? And they said, oh, there's this, this academy called South Lancaster Academy. And the, and the young people go there. Uh, after 10th grade. And I thought, how do I go there? Well, one day they had what they called Academy Day, and we went down there, and I said, I would like to go to this school. I love this school. And the environment was so much better than what I saw in my home. And so I said, how do I go to this school? And they said, well, it costs money to go to this school. I said, well, I could get a job. Where could I get a job? And they said, well, they have different jobs. But I said, I need a job in the summer. I need a job where I can earn lots of money because I have to pay my whole way. 
And so they said, well, maybe you should try the, the book bindery. So I went down to the book bindery, and this is another miracle that, that God watches over us. It's just amazing. I went down to the book bindery, and he, he interviewed me, and I, he said, how long do you want to go to school here? And I said, well, at least six years, because I loved kids, and I wanted to be a teacher. And I said, I want to do two years of high school and four years of college because I want to go to school and learn how to be a teacher because I love young people. And so when I said that, he said, okay, you can have a job, but we're, we're going to uh, make you a sewer. Well, he made me, uh, he taught me to be a sewer of the books in the bindery. And that was, again, part of God's plan because you see the sewers were the ones that got the most time. And I was able to work 70 hours a week in the summer. And then I was able to work 35 hours a week during the school year and go to school at the same time. And so I said, Lord, thank you so much that you've allowed me. I worked from 11 in the morning till 11 at night. I was on the, the later shift. And if I had not been a sower, I could not have had those hours, and I wouldn't have been able to go to school. I went to that school. God blessed me at that school. I went to college there. I met a pastor by the name of O.J. Mills, and I was baptized by Pastor Mills. I then uh, had an opportunity to work with him as a teacher in that school and taught there for three years. But in the meantime, while I was uh, at the Portland school, God again was leading my life to be involved in his work with young people. We had a little program that we did on the sanctuary, and I could see that God was even leading me, maybe somehow, to share my faith somehow. And we had back then, if you think that you, uh, ASI Youth for Jesus is something new, let me tell you, back then, I was a part of the young people Voice of Youth meetings uh, back there in Portland. So God was preparing my mind to get involved in what I was going to find at Atlantic Union College, mainly Mark Finley, an evangelist. And so God was preparing me. I was involved. I, I, I didn't know how to do this, but we had little parts and little scripts, and we were involved in that. I graduated from uh, there and went to Atlantic Union College and had a wonderful experience there, met Mark Finley, and you might say the rest is history, but uh, God was leading me there because uh, even while we were there, uh, we were asked as young people to get involved in evangelism. And there is my husband in the back, and there I am in the front here, uh, and we were involved in a Lemonster evangelistic series and it was at that series that the conference president happened to come. My husband was only a sophomore in college. We were only sophomores in college, second year of college. And when we got through with this meeting that night, he said to my husband, we'd like you to be part of our ministerial team. And 
He finished, of course, his next two years, and I went down to Hartford, Connecticut, and taught there. And then we joined Pastor O.J. Mills as, as uh, the associate pastor and as a teacher at the school. Worked there for two more years, uh, or my husband worked there two years. I had three years because I went out a year early since I, I ran out of money. I was working a lot, 70 hours a week and 35. In fact, I upped it to 41. I was working also six hours outside uh, doing cleaning or whatever I could do to earn money. And, um, and so we were uh, trying to really see how God was leading. And um, the Lord led us to get married. And that was a wonderful experience. In 1967, we just celebrated our 42nd anniversary. And uh, I had no idea how God would lead us from that point on. But again, he was leading. He led us from Hartford to Connecticut to our first church, our first district. Unless you think it's always been uh, easy, and great for Mark Finley in evangelism, that first church that we had, young people, wasn't so easy. I remember my husband was all excited because the conference president said to him, Pastor Finley, um, we need somebody young to go to this church. It's dying. And in fact, there are two churches that are about ready to close down. The other one meets in a morgue in a graveyard, and we're not sure what's going to happen with that church. And maybe you have some young blood. You and your wife can go down there and work in that church. And so we were excited about it. We thought, well, they have at least supposed to have one fairly good church. My husband planned his sermon all week, prepared it. And uh, we thought there was going to be at least a good group in that church. And that Sabbath morning, we went to his first preaching assignment. And when he got there, the deacon was the only one there. And he kept pacing the floor back and forth. And then he'd look out the window. And he'd look out the window. And then he looked back at, at us. And then he said, well, this was our introduction to our first church. He said, well, pastor, I hope someone shows up today. That was our introduction. Well, a few people did show up, but that was when we started reaching out into the community and saying, we need to go out into the highways and byways. We put a little ad in the paper for Bible studies. I mean, humanly speaking, nobody should answer that. But again, prayer and faith will do what no other power on earth can do. And we um, said, we're going to... Um, uh, Pray that the Lord will put two to three responses in our mailbox every single day. And God did just that. We had so many Bible studies going that we had as a pastor, my husband had at least 30 Bible studies going. We invited the young people from the academy not far to come down and help us with literature distribution. We were going to do everything and anything that we could do to find uh, people that needed Christ. Well, we were there for three, uh, for, for two years. We met Elder W.D. Frizee at Wildwood, and he uh, wanted my husband to come and work with him. 
and my husband was then ordained as an ordained minister, and we were praying again as to where God was going to lead us. And through a series of providences, uh, God led us to spend three years at Wildwood with Elder Frizee, and uh, we were doing outreach. Uh, my husband and I were working together, and we were reaching out into the community there, and we were uh, seeing people involved in the health ministry. We were giving Bible studies, but we really weren't doing public evangelism. We were doing personal evangelism. We were young, we were 25 years old, 26 years old during those years, 27 years old. And one day my husband came home, October 25, 1973. And he said, God is calling me into full-time evangelism. And I said, what? And he said, I believe the Lord is calling us into full-time evangelism. But how is anybody going to call us? We were actually hired by the Georgia Cumberland Conference on a Wildwood pay scale at a self-supporting institution. How is anyone going to call us into full-time evangelism? That night, young people, we prayed again for two hours that God would lead our lives. And the next day, October 26, 1973, we got a call from the Southern New England Conference saying, our committee met yesterday, and they want you to be an evangelist in the Southern New England Conference. I mean, God leads miraculously. We said, we want to follow God's plan. We, want to, we had the privilege of meeting Elder Tyndall Elder Tyndall was the man who carried out the vision of February 27 of 1910 that Ellen White had, where she said there needed to be companies of workers, call porters, young people, Bible instructors, nurses working together. So we said, we want to bring a group of young people with us and work as a team, as a company. When you go to some of those booths out there and you see the the, the Hope Channel booth, Brad Thorpe, who is now the president of Hope Channel, came and lived in our home and worked with us. Tony Moore, 19 years old, came with us. He's in, he has now the ministry of the footsteps of Paul. These young people were living in our home. And God was blessing. We were doing evangelism. We had so many young people living in our home that we said, we need to start a school. And we thought we were going to start a school there in southern New England. But we got a call from the Lake Union saying where we heard about what was happening up there in New England in evangelism. And uh, we'd like you to come and do that here in the Chicagoland. We said, well, we have all these young people living in our home. And, we want, and there were more young people that wanted to come. We had five in our home. Now we invited Pastor O.J. Mills, the very pastor that we had interned under, to come and join our team. And he had people living in his home. And we said, we need to start a school. And they said, what kind of a school? And we said, to train young people in evangelism, to train pastors, seminary students, and get them involved. And they said, well, come, we want to learn more about this. And we went out there to Chicago. And I'll tell you, talk about a miracle story. To tell you briefly what happened, we went out there several times looking for buildings to start a school. When you go by the Natty booth today, 
that was started in 1979 through a series of providences and miracles. When we went out there, they said, oh, we found this beautiful building, 10 million, you can have a discount, 50%, 5 million. We didn't have $5 in the budget, let alone $5 million. We went out there several times looking for buildings. 10 million, 5 million, 3 million. They finally found a building, three and a half million dollars. And they said, you can start the school here. It has 54 sleeping rooms. It has a big room in the basement. It was a retirement center, classrooms. There's everything you need to start a school here, a big cafeteria and kitchen and dining hall and all of that. We looked at it. We said, how much would it be? Well. We want, they said, Pastor Finley, we want you and your wife to come out here and meet with the board who directs this building and see if we can get it. And we went out there, talked with them, told them what we wanted to do. They said, tell us what you want to do. Well, we want to start school for young people. Um, we want to teach them how to uh, do programs in the community to better the community, stop smoking plans, cooking schools, health programs, uh, Bible studies, and all these things. And so they said, uh, uh, well, we're going to go out and discuss this, and we'll come back and let you know. Well, when they went out to discuss it, we went out and prayed. Again, I can't overemphasize how God answers prayer. We said, God, if you want us to start this school, you need to make the price right because we don't have $5 in the budget. We asked the union, how much do we have? They said, Pat, Mark and Tini, we don't have anything in the budget for this. We're going to have to pray that God will lead. Well, we went back and they said, we've looked at this. Mr. Finley, tell us one more time what you want to do with this building. We explained again that we wanted to start a school. We wanted to bring young people in. We wanted to do things in the community. And they said, well, when we thought about this, we thought, if you're going to have all these young people with you and all these pastors, you're going to need uh, all the desks and all the beds and all the pots and pans in the kitchen and all the dishes. So we decided to give you this and the building and everything, and you can lease this building and have it as long as you want, and we're going to give it to you for $1 a year. Nobody said anything. There was silence in the room. Finally, I don't know who it was, but someone spoke up and said, would you like it all at once or on the installment plan? <laughs> and they started laughing and saying, a dollar, we can't believe this. And we got the Soul Winning Institute building for $1 a year, and that's how we started. We got $1 the next year, $1 the next year. We paid $1 for that building. We then got soon got our own building started, and that's how the North American Division Institute started. It was first called Lucy, the Lake Union Soul Winning Institute, and then it went to the North American Division. We knew that God was leading us. God then led us to Europe. God led us into communist countries. Tomorrow afternoon, my husband will be sharing with you. We'll share uh, what God has done in some of these places. Who would ever believe that when I was in a little town in Millinocket, Maine, that God would lead me to Moscow 
to have a series of meetings with my evangelist husband in the Kremlin Auditorium. I never would have thought that. Who would think that God would lead me to Melbourne, Australia? I had never been out of the state of Maine in my life until I went to South Lancaster Academy. How could God lead? God leads in miraculous ways. And who would think that God would lead me around the world? And how, who would think that God would lead us to satellite evangelism? And now we see the gospel going around the world. When we were just recently in Papua New Guinea, when we were in Papua New Guinea, 100,000 people came out live in the uplink site. 50,000 people in many downlink sites all over. And when those altar calls were made, young people, not 10, but tens of thousands of people coming forward in altar calls. A whole nation was impacted. We started by sharing with you how God used Moses, how God used Daniel, how God used Joseph, and God is using people today. And I saw that because a whole nation was impacted for God. If you could not see the three angels message by satellite uplink, then you could see it by satellite downlink. If you couldn't hear it by satellite uplink or downlink, God said, I still have another way because this is going to be on television every day. And every day they broadcast the whole and entire evangelistic meeting via television. And then God said, okay, if they can't hear by television, by radio, uh, by uh, satellite uplink or downlink, I'm going to have it on radio. People in the jungles in very remote places had little transistor radios, and they were hearing the gospel of the three angels being preached. And then uh, if you couldn't hear by satellite uplink, downlink, television, radio, you know what? Every day when you would go down to the kiosk, you could find the whole message written in, in the paper. God has ways of impacting entire nations. And my friends, he wants to use you. He wants to use you in a very, very special way. This little girl from Millinocket, Maine, having the privilege of being working in evangelism around the world. And I had worked many years with Mark Finley in evangelism, thinking my role is behind the scenes. I work with the ushers, the hosts, the hostess, hostesses, the children's meetings, the record keeping, all of these other things, the pre-work. I don't do evangelistic meetings. And then one day, God tapped me on the shoulder and said, you need to do a series of meetings. No, Lord, you have the wrong person. Mark Finley is the evangelist, not me. I'm not an evangelist. But you need to do your own meetings. And then I thought, well, I know how I can end this quickly. And I want to share this as we end today because I think there may be somebody sitting here today who's a young person and can go out, and you can witness in your own way. And God has many ways of you witnessing. But some of you sitting here today can do your own evangelistic meeting. And God tapped me on the shoulder, and I said, 
Lord, you've got the wrong person. It's not me. I know how I can end this quickly. I'm going to tell Mark Finley, I was thinking about doing an evangelistic meeting. I mean, a real live meeting. What do you think? And he'll say, oh, you don't need to do that. I'm doing evangelism, and you're making a contribution. And he said, well, I think that's a good idea. Where would you like to go? And I said, well, I'm thinking about maybe Florida, because I know the Florida conference was very into evangelism. I had worked there in Net 96. I had worked with the conference uh, evangelist coordinator. And so I thought, well, I'll talk to him. I talked to him, and he said, come, let, let's talk about this. I was going to have my first evangelistic meeting, and let me tell you, I thought it was going to be easy because I thought, well, I've been listening to Mark Finley all these years, but after I went down there and did some pre-work, did some Bible work, did some health programs, all of a sudden it was about six weeks before my evangelistic meeting, and I said, um, I can't do this. I, st I thought I'm going to use Mark Finley's graphics, so I'm going to click through these, you know, I'll be able to do this. I mean, I've listened to these meetings for many years, and I've been pouring in. Now God is going to have to help me pour out. And I thought it was going to be easy. And I started clicking through these graphics. And I said, how does Mark Finley do this? He preaches with no notes. And when the graphics come on the screen, there's just pictures there. What do I say? Well, I said, I know, I'm intelligent enough to know that when the text comes up there, I read the text. But what do I say with all these graphics? And I got scared. And I called up Mark and I said, Mark, I can't do this evangelistic series. You've got to come and do it. And he said, no, you've got to do it. And I said, no, Mark, you don't understand. I cannot do this series of meetings. And he said, well, we'll figure out a way. And at that time, I said, the only way I can do this is if I can learn how to put everything you say on that computer. And, and I took... I said, I need to get some headphones. I need to know how to take it off your, your audio tapes, put it on the computer, and preach off the computer. I went to the graphics department, learned how to do that. The only thing that I hadn't calculated is that it would take me over 400 hours to do this project. And I started doing all those graphics. I started doing all those things. And then I saw that it was getting closer and closer to my evangelistic meeting, called my daughter, who's a computer buff. She and her husband helped me get these on as I'm going through my evangelistic meeting. I opened my first evangelistic meeting live that I was going to have in Apopka, Florida. And we had, a, we, we had these graphics uh, and, and the computer system in the rough. You may, I think you're going to see Share Him today. And it's... Uh, it's a lot refined since that first one. But we had two computers, one computer here, one computer here. We had a wire going from this computer to this computer. One is a master, one is a slave. All the notes on this computer, all the graphics on this computer. And the audience saw the graphics, and I saw my notes, and I preached that first meeting. But I want to tell you, as scared as I was, and, and the first night I tell you I'm Young people, I probably went in the restroom, I don't know, 10 times before I went out to preach that night and said, Lord, I can't do this. But when I stood up there for the first, because evangelism is different than anything else. You see, evangelism, you've got to get 
that Olympian number 10 every time because you may not get your audience back. You can't wander. You can't get on <laughs> to another subject. You've got to have everything. And I knew at least if everything, uh, if everything failed, all I needed to do was produce what was on that computer and that we could stay on track. And so I went out there. And as I got up there to preach it, I felt like it was as if God was standing beside me every night as I was preaching. And I thought, Lord, why did I do this? I mean, Mark Finley is really the evangelist. Why did I do this? Well, it was for the 50-some people that were baptized in that campaign, and especially Keith, who was, uh, had been out of the church, was a preacher's son, an evangelist's son, a conference president's son, and came to my evangelistic series, and after 20 years of being out of the church, came back. So that was one reason I knew God had me that had that series. But the other reason, young people, that God had that series is because those 400 hours turned into 600 hours, turned into seven or 800 hours. And I said, now we have all of revelation of hope, graphics, and scripts, word for word. And that's the ones that many of you are using here at ASI, Youth for Jesus. And so I have no question that God, again, was leading me to do an evangelistic series because he wanted you and others, lay people, young people, boys, girls, doing evangelistic meetings. And just as God has led my life, I know that God is leading your life. And I'd like to end with this text. I'd like you to think about this text in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. What does it say? What does it say, young people? Let's say that together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. I have no question that God took a little 10-year-old girl from Millinocket, Maine, a 14-year-old girl from Medway, Maine, onto Portland, Maine, to find the Seventh-day Adventist Church and the truths of the Bible to Atlantic Union College, where God led me to Mark Finley, and where God led us in our lives, in evangelism, and in my personal life. And I cannot thank the Lord more. I can't tell you, young people, how important it is to stay on the path that God has for you because it's more difficult to come back. It was more difficult for Keith, after being out of the church for 20 years, to come back. I ate with someone this morning that sat at my table, maybe providentially, and said that he had been out of the church for 23 years, and then came back and said, the tracks that lead you out often are many, and it's often very difficult to come back. So stay close to Jesus. 
And you know how you stay close to Jesus? There's only three ways that I know of to stay close to Jesus. And that is that you need to have a strong relationship in prayer with him, number one. And second, you need to have a strong relationship with him in scripture. So bathe your mind in scripture through the Bible and through prayer and then through witnessing. That's how you have a strong relationship with him. So I know God is going to bless you as you give your heart totally and have given your heart totally to him. Stay close to him. Never let him go. Because just as I know that it was real to me, that I saw in my dream, as, and God doesn't always give everybody a dream, but he knew that was the way to lead me. And just as I saw reality in that dream of Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven, I know that it is real, it's going to happen, and I believe we're on the brink of eternity and Jesus is soon to come. So get involved with him and you will be the happiest person on the face of the earth. God bless you. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.